Welcome to Marcus Ag Talk podcast number four. What makes a good decision and why might that be different to a right decision? Why is it important for farm managers to understand the difference? And can we learn how to make better decisions? It has been my experience working with farmers across Australia that successful farmers are very skilled at decision making and these skills of good decision can be learnt. Cam Nicholson, Ag Consultant and Farmer, joins us to discuss how farmers can improve the decision-making process to make better decisions in a very risky business environment. Welcome to Mark Solder Mag Talks podcast. Uh, today we're joined by Cam Nicholson. Cam is an Ag Consultant based near Geelong. Um, Cam has a long and illustrious career in, in, in agriculture, starting with land care. He's worked with Southern Farming Systems, GRDC. But certainly his career highlight so far would have to be that he lectures at Marcus Oldham to students on animal and pasture systems. So welcome, Cam. Morning, Dave. How's the uh, COVID-19 treating you? Oh, sitting in the office like everybody else, I think. But um, yeah, we've just got to adapt to it, so it's all fine. Hey, buddy, are you, sure, are you using, finding you're using more technology and, and finding different things that you'll take back into your normal, uh, when it gets normal, whatever normal is? Uh, yeah, I think so. There, there'll be some things. I mean, mm. I, I still think a lot of things in agriculture you've got to do face-to-face. Yeah. Um, because so much of it in the sort of job I do is a, around those personal relationships. And, and while technology is good, it can never replace, I don't think, sitting down one-to-one or standing in a paddock with the problem in front of you or with the challenge in front of you and working out what to do. So, yeah, look, yeah, we'll use some in the future, but, um, yeah, can't wait to get back into the normal game. Yeah, you know, I hear you. Hey, mate, um, I suppose one of the things that's always interested me about you is is this interest you have in um, good decision-making. And obviously, we uh, I was able to uh, be involved with you with regards to the uh, book uh, you did for GIDC on um, uh, farm decision making. What is it about decision making that that I suppose intrigues you or you're passionate about? Um, probably just reflecting on the results, the difference in results you can get if you make what I call a good decision, um, rather than you know some of the decision making that I see people do. Mm. Um, and so I, I got intrigued by that that whole idea of how come some people seem to always make the good decisions at the right time? So it's not only around timing, but it's also around the decision they make. And quite often that decision is to do nothing or to stick with the course I'm doing. Mm. But they they seem to have a a degree of confidence about making that call and feeling comfortable with the call they've made. And more often than not, in my observation, it works out um, the right way. Um, and so I just I got fascinated about how do some people seem to sort of do that naturally where other people don't? Yeah, yeah. So I suppose the question you need to start with, it's sort of a bit like leadership question. Is that something that we're innately born with or is it something that we can, can be taught, do you think, or learnt? Uh, my conclusion now is that we can learn it because there are processes we can apply um, mm. and it's a skill. And mm. we can practice that skill and we can hone that skill. No different to learning how to drive a car, no different how to learning to read and write. And, mm. and you know, one of the questions I always pose when I give these um, 
presentations, they ask people when were they taught how to make a good decision. And there's usually just silence. And people yeah. go, well, we just did, you know. I said, were you taught to write? Yes. Were you taught to read? Yes. Were you taught to do mathematics? Yes. <laughs> you taught to make good decisions? And there's just silence, you know. And, yeah. and I think it's a, it's a process that we can go through that um, you can hone those skills. You can learn some, some discipline around how you need to go about doing it. Yeah. Uh, that really becomes important when you're under pressure. Yep. Not too bad when things are cruising along, but when you're under pressure and you've got to make a call, sometimes without perfect information and do it in a timely fashion, because if you wait too long, that opportunity will go. Having a process to fall back to is pretty important. So let's, I suppose, let's break that down again. I, I, I suppose the interesting issue you talk about a good decision. Um, and it's good decision something that we've decided in hindsight because it's rained or how do you define a good decision? Yeah, I, I think that's a really important um, distinction here, Dave, that everybody wants to make the right decision and they want to be able to look back and say, gee, I made the right decision there and not the wrong decision. Yeah. The reality is, and in a lot of decisions we've got to make, but particularly in agriculture, is you've got to make a call and then you roll the dice and hopefully yeah. it pans out. So whether that's around prices, whether that's around... Uh, seasonal conditions, those sort of things, you, you don't know what the outcome's going to be. So I talk to people about what we've got to focus on is making a good decision. And by a good decision, I call an informed one, the best decision you could make at that point of time with the information you've got. You then roll the dice and you hope at the end of it that it turns out the right way. Um, it, doesn't all, it doesn't guarantee that that's what will happen. But if we've made good decisions, my reflection is that I'm, more often than not, we will be making right decisions. So, um, you, you, you're interesting, you, you talked about roll the dice. Now, one of the interesting things I've always seen is that, and again, it depends on who you're talking to, but um, you know, up to 60% of, of, 60 to 70% of your outcomes, your financial outcomes from a farm can be dependent on factors outside of your control. And, and, you know, in agriculture versus other industries where obviously you've had, you have much more tighter control. Now, the obvious things there, we, we're dealing with weather and commodity prices, um, which are beyond your control. So how, how, do I, how do I deal with that from a decision-making process? You know, when I've got all these factors outside my control, I mean, there's people who have been in two years, three years of drought. Um, yeah. First point I'd make is that, we have to realise in agriculture that we're playing the riskiest game in town yeah. because of exactly what you said. We're, we're so reliant on climate and then those other factors that relate to you know, commodity prices that may be to some extent outside our control. I mean, there are some certain practices you can do to help try and mitigate that or um, yep. reduce that volatility. But we need to understand we are playing a very risky game. And yep. so for me, in this decision-making, what is essential in the whole thing is starting to understand risk and odds. Okay. So in making these good decisions, the good decisions are, but what are the odds of that working out? Mm. You know, and, and you, and, and I think we, we've, this is from a agricultural advisory sector. I think we've been pretty poor at talking about the odds of certain results happening. We've, yep. we've been very good at talking about the average 
and we like to average out you know, six years of trial results and on average this crop yields five tonne a hectare. But what I really want to know is that volatility in good years and bad years. And then thinking about how often do I get those good years and bad years? Because I make a, a more informed decision, which in my definition is a good decision, by knowing that and knowing what odds you're playing with or what you're punting with. So could you give an example of that, Cam? As far as the odds go? Yeah, well, just how would I, how would I do, I mean, again, I, I obviously like to visualise this, you know, as a farmer, um, that whole concept around, you know, making a good and a right decision based on, on odds. Um, yep. You know, I suppose okay. odds are something that you stack up, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. And, and uh, one example, for very early on in the piece, I had, when I was comparing two wheat varieties, and this was under this was under the grazing crop sort of work we were doing. And then we were looking at the yield at the end of the day. And you looked at it over six years and those two varieties had exactly the same average yield over six, over six seasons. But when you actually looked at the volatility or the range in it, one variety in a poor year yielded better than the other variety. But in a good year, it wasn't quite as spectacular as the other variety. So yeah. if you can imagine, in the long run, they yielded exactly the same, but one had much greater volatility than the other. And so if I wanted to be a bit more conservative and think, you know, I want to at least get close to what that average yield was, I'm probably better picking the variety that's got that less volatility. Someone else that may want to take a bit more of a punt saying, look, I'll take a punt on this because in a really good year, this outstrips everything else, this out yields everything else, I'll have a crack at that. Now, making that decision is entirely your call and risk is a personal thing. So that's entirely up to you on which, which of those two calls is right or not. But you need to know that information and you need to know the odds around it. Mm. You know, risk, as you and I both know, lie in the extremes, not in the average or in the middle. Yeah. And I think too often we talk about, you know, we get an average of this. When in fact, what I want to know is what are the extremes and what am I punting on? And what are the chances of getting result A or result B? Um, yeah, uh, I think that's a really, really good point because I know as a banker, um, you know, we always did um, cash flows or or analyze based on the average. Um, but but in my experience, it wasn't the average that sent people broke. Um, it was how extreme or how how big the tail was on on the results that that was concerning. And, and we really never had any tools to to actually look at that when I was, you know, these are going back many years, mate. Um, but yeah, to, to look at that type of stuff. Yeah, and, and if you think about it, if we got average prices and average yields every year, there wouldn't be much risk in farming. Yeah. Every day you get up and you know exactly what you're gonna get for your product and you're gonna know exactly how much you're gonna grow. That'd be all right. We don't get that, <laughs> you know, okay. as we all know. Yeah. And in fact, it can change so dramatically. You know, you get a frost at flowering or something in a, a crop. Yeah, um, you get some of these unseen events that sort of turn up. Um, it's constantly changing, and to me, the the skill, and in fact, one of the real joys I um, I get from being at Marcus Oldham is what we're actually talking about is as much risk management and how you adapt as circumstances change, and trying to develop those skills in the students that that I think is really important. Yeah, and, and mate, I, I want to come back to the the, the um, sort of decision making processes that we might combine. But 
One of the things that, that really interests me in, in, in some of the work you've done too is this concept around individuals and how individuals' decision-making is, is a personal uh, thing and it's dependent on a whole lot of um, uh, psychological, or in psychological factors within that person. Um, I'd just love you to sort of elaborate on that, that, that bit you talk about, sort of personality, the head, the heart and the gut stuff. Yeah. Okay. So th there's there's two parts to that. If we take the personality or the temperament part first, um, your temperament influences the way you view risk, and that then flows on to, in a sense, some of the decisions that you're likely to make. Um, yeah. And in a sense, how how much risk you want to take on. Um, now, your your temperament is formed partly by uh, your experience partly by your genetics and partly by who you hang around with. You know? so, <laughs> so your parents are, are partly responsible for where you sit, but yeah. there are other things that influence that as well. You know? Yeah, um, yeah, bad and, people. <laughs> yeah, Well, good, bad or other good, good people. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I, should, I should reflect on myself. <laughs> yeah, so, so there's a bit, you know, there's the, that's one part of it. The other one is your decision-making around your temperament will change depending on... Um, your stage of life, uh, the circumstance you find yourself in, and so on. So as as events change, things happen, or you're getting towards maybe the end of your farming career as opposed to the start of your farming career, um, you will think a bit differently about that sort of stuff. But, so, you know, to, to sort of put that in perspective, I, I often seen when I was working with farmers of a couple of generations that the the younger generation would be coming home, going, "We need to do this," and uh, buy this and leverage this, and while the older, 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 older generation that have sort of been through all that are going, I think it's time we might just wind down and and just uh, and and get a few rewards here. Uh, the type yeah. of thing you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So moving on, you you made reference to this thing that you know I refer to as the head, heart, and gut, and I and that influences your decision making as well as your temperament or your, your personality, which is just sort of inherent and that's what you've got. And yeah. I think that's important that you recognise that. And that's why some of the stuff that you do at Marcus around you know, knowing yourself, knowing your personality, knowing your, your, um, the way you behave and do things is so important because if you're not aware of that, you will naturally just keep doing things you've always done. Yeah. Uh, so that's an important bit of it. But back to the head, heart and gut thing. Mm. The head in my definition is sort of the facts, you know, the facts and figures. And a lot of that gets taught at Marcus. A lot of that gets taught everywhere. You know, they're the numbers, they're the spreadsheets, they're the calculations you do to work out the gross margin or whatever it might be. Yep. And that's a really important part of, of what we do, stuff you prepare for the bank manager and so on. That's what I call the head or the facts sort of bit. Um, but we've got to recognise there are two other things in play that will influence those decisions. One is what I call your heart. So they're your preferences, your beliefs, your values, um, the biases that you've got. Um, they all come into that and we need to be aware of those. Um, and then the third one is what I call your gut. And I'm sure people will have heard the expression gut feel. And I'm sure people also would have made decisions and thinking, oh, I don't know, this just doesn't sit right with me. I just feel uncomfortable. I can't put my finger on what it is, yeah. but there's something not right. And I call that, yeah, that's your gut talking to you. Um, yeah. 
and your gut is really the, the development of your gut, apart from eating and drinking too much and not exercising <laughs> enough, is usually developed through your experience and through intuition. Yeah. So that's what's informing that bit of it. So the more times you go around the block, the more times you've experienced a drought, the more times you've seen a season like this happen and you've reflected on the result of it or the outcome of it, that goes into that memory bank in your gut. Yeah. And so someone comes in for the first time, learnt a bit, so they've got this floating around in their head. This is what we should be doing. I've done the sums. This is better than that. Um, and then they, they jump into it and someone else that may have been around said, oh, yeah, we tried that 20, 25 years ago. It didn't work. Mm. And so quite often you can have that that difference in what I call you know, opinion of where the decision should lie um, based on that experience or that, that gut feel around, yep. the, around the decision. Yeah. I mean, having said that, um, it's really important that your past experience um, – doesn't let me say automatically influence what you might think about in the future and i know in that work that that uh, you and i did on that decision making book um there was a section there that zoe creelman did around what we called rules of thumb yeah and the importance of you know, quite often with your intuition or your past experience you can say it happened like that in the past this is the way it's always going to happen because you've experienced, you've lived through it, that's embedded in your mind. You know what, you, you, or you believe you know what the outcome's gonna be like. Um, and the work that Zoe did was um, important in saying, hang on, in some of these big decisions, just pause, even though you think that's what's gonna happen, let's just pause for a minute and let's just unpack that and think about, are the circumstances the same? Are the, um, the conditions the same um, because if the conditions are different, you may end up with a different result and just using the past as your only um, point, point of reference sometimes can actually block your thinking to say, no, actually I should have a crack at this because circumstances are different. Is that a sort of, is that a sort of like a coping mechanism? Because big decisions can be quite scary. So what we do is we rely on our, what, maybe our parents have told us, maybe what our, our farmers says, just so that we don't have to go there? Is, it, is this uh, a, a thing? Yeah, partly that and partly time. Yeah. So quite often, particularly with big decisions, they do take a fair bit of thinking. Yeah. And if you feel you're under pressure that you've got to make a decision quickly or you feel that that decision is overwhelming, the easiest um, fallback position is just what did we do in the past? Yeah, I'm still here and I know what I did in the past. Mm. If I get that same outcome again, I'm probably going to accept that. Um, now, I'm not sure that, that at, at times that serves us. That's the best way of, of, of uh, making the yeah. decision. Yeah. I think there are at times sort of thinking, hang on, let's just pause a bit. What's changed in the world? Well, technology's changed. Varieties have changed. You know, our understanding of grazing management has changed. Um, well, doing yeah. such and such, should we be doing the same thing? What, what, what often interests me from a succession planning perspective also is that future decision making is based on um, or generations or things that happened 20 or 30 years ago that, that have no relevance but are so uh, entwined in the person's thinking that they can't see past that about we're in a new game, we're in a new place and it's sort of, it's sort of to the detriment of the next generation coming through. Yeah, ab absolutely. And that's where 
your your gut say that experience and also the one around your you know beliefs biases um, emotions around certain things um, your values around certain things will influence that now yeah. I'm, I'm not saying we should discard all of that what I'm saying you've got to be aware that yeah. that is influencing the way you're looking at a decision so it's sort of, it still it, might be it yeah, still so, might be that once you've made that uh, you're aware of that you still make the same decision but you're doing it in a considered fashion and this comes back to my point about what's a good decision a good decision yeah. is an informed one that you've actually thought about rather than jumping in too quickly so mate how do we do it how do we how do we what's some processes we can think about for um complex decision making how do we incorporate risk what, what's your thoughts there yeah it's a it's a really good question and i spent quite a bit of time with a few other people trying to find some processes that i reckon are relatively simple so we can apply them easily and you can learn how to do that and you can get the discipline to do that but still pick up the complexity that you um, referred to earlier this idea how do you bring in things like the head heart and gut yeah. And when they're complex decisions, there's no single right answer. Yeah. You know, if we want to turn a profit in a farm business, not everybody has to crop exactly this amount of, of grain and run this many livestock of this certain type and sell this certain way to get the same result. There's lots of different ways you can stick that together, to get a result. Yeah. So we've got this complexity in it as well. So I've uh, developed a, a process and it actually the origins of it was a farmer in South Australia called Barry Mudge who used this early on and he's in relatively sort of marginal cropping country. Well, South um, Australia, mate. <laughs> <laughs> all of South, Australia. South Australia friends. <laughs> You're pretty close to the desert where he is. But, you know, and he said one of his biggest decisions was how much crop he sows each year. Yeah. Um, because when you're in that marginal sort of country, um, that can make or break you. You can spend a lot of money and not get much in return at the end. Yeah. And so he started this idea of what he called the decision matrix, and I've sort of built on that as a as a process. But but the key points behind it is that usually when we've got a, a critical decision to make, there are um, many factors to weigh up. So it's not just one or two things we need to consider. Right? So there are many factors, but not all of them. So while we may, may need to consider five or six different factors, not all those factors are necessarily of equal importance. So we need to consider them, but rarely is, if this isn't right, everything else doesn't matter. Yeah. So, so in those complex decisions, you've got to make things on balance. So there's some in the good side of the ledger and some in the bad side of the ledger. So yeah. not all those factors are important. Importantly, your decision around them changes when the odds of different outcomes are known. So... If, say, one of them was what price or what the seasonal forecast might be, might be one of the things I'm considering in making a decision. I will probably think differently about it if it's going to be, a say, a decile seven or above uh, rainfall year to if it was going to be a decile three or below rainfall year. Yeah. Now, the deciles are simply odds. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a 70% chance of this is going to be such and such compared to a 30% chance. So... While seasonal conditions are a critical factor I need to think about, at different points, I'll think a bit differently about how important they are or not. Mm. So if it's a decile seven, 
I'll think, yeah, that's stacking up more favourably in the positive side of the ledger to if it's a decile three. It's worth a crack. If I'm thinking of sowing a crop and I've got no soil moisture, as opposed to if I'm sowing a crop and I've got um, almost a full profile when I'm starting, I know from the science, I know from my experience that if I've got water in the soil and I've preserved that over summer, that's money in the bank. Yep. And that reduces my risk of having a failure from a seasonal point of view. So I could have high soil moisture, but only an average seasonal forecast predicted, but I still might make a more aggressive decision compared to if I had no soil moisture and no um, and a poor seasonal forecast. So it changes depending on the odds or the, the conditions within each of those critical factors. So, so the more work you do in understanding that, the, 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 the I don't, easy is probably not the right word, but the, the more clarity you get around your decision-making process. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and some of those don't necessarily have to be overly scientific. Hmm. Like I, I did a, a group up in, in Queensland and we were talking about how much feed you had on offer at the end of the wet season. And, you know, we talk a lot about kilograms of dry matter and all that sort of stuff. But one farmer said to me, I just know that if I can't see the dog's ears when, when the dog runs through the paddock compared to where I could see the dog compared to if the dog, there's dust coming up as the dog's running along the paddock. Yeah. Those three indicators for him were the three points yeah. of where he thinks differently about his decision. Oh, cracking. Now, you could turn that into, well, if you can't see the dog's ears, that's at least 3,500 kilos of dry matter and so on. But this farmer just had from past experience, he'd seen in the past where he can't see the dog, that's going to be enough feed to get you through. Yep, yeah. So that's the way that critical decision was split up. Yep. Um, having, oh, that critical factor was split up. But having said that, there were other things he considered as well. Yeah. So you might have good feed in front of you, but if at the moment prices are going to be huge and prices in the future are predicted to be absolutely lousy, even though you've got feed in front of you, maybe you sell some stock. Yeah. And cash so, but, so you're, wait, you're waiting up those pros and cons in a, in, in a sort of matrix type arrangement. Yeah, ab absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And, and what I like about the, that process that I'm trying to describe is that you can put in critical factors that are informed by your heart and your gut. Yep. So you're not just relying on head-only things. And, and if you think about a lot of the decision-making tools that are out there, they are very much head-focused. Mm. They are very much relying on, I need the facts. You know, how many dollars is this worth? Um, what is my lambing percentage going to be? When you know there are other things that you need to take into account as well, things like your, um, you know, the, the mental health side of it or the stress yeah. side of it. There's a whole lot of personality issues and, and, and reasons we farm other than um, just to maximise productivity. Yeah, oh, ab absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and other things that are sort of a bit intangible. I, I did one around frosted crops with a group of farmers. And uh, if we get a frosted crop, how do we make a decision on whether we cut it for hay or whatever else? And so the obvious things is you know, how much of it's frosted, um, how much... Is the, the uh, unfrosted part of the crop likely to yeah. yield? Do we have enough moisture to actually finish that un unfrosted bit of the crop? Um, mm. But then we moved into other things like, well, do we actually have sheds to put the hay in? You know, yeah, is there a market at the moment? Yeah. You know, what's the market price? And as one farmer then said that, well, look, if I've got a bad ryegrass problem in it, I would weight cutting that crop much more highly than if I didn't have a ryegrass because yeah. I can solve another problem yeah. by doing something this year. 
So in weighing up all of that, or each of those critical factors had a weighting on them of what was important and what wasn't. What, 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 yeah, one of the things I really like about this process, Cam, is, is this interrelationship between farming enterprises. And what you, uh, I think in a, in a previous discussion, you talked about um, a farmer who used this process when he was looking at his uh, time of lambing. Um, I wonder if you could just sort of elaborate on that story because I think it's a really good way of, of understanding how this process works. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was one with a, a, a farmer, mixed farming operation, who was considering bringing his lambing um, time forward. Why? Um, um, primarily, the, the the talk was that that a you could still get your lambs, uh, uh, still get your ewes um, in good condition, and you could still um, get a high um, joining percentage, um, but also the price would be better because you'd be selling you know, potentially a month earlier. Okay. So as we worked through that and worked through all the different things that we had to take into account, other things started to, to come to the surface. So it wasn't only price, it was things like they run a cropping operation as well. And so yep. all of a sudden there was going to be a competition for labour at a certain time. If they were lambing at the same time, they were desperately trying to spray and get crops in. Um, we did some analysis on the price. And while on average, if we come back to these averages and the ranges, yeah. While on average, so I analysed from the day they usually sell and called that zero and then looked at the increase in price if you sold one week earlier, two weeks earlier, three weeks earlier and so on. And so we went out to six weeks um, earlier. So if you were turning those lambs off earlier and looked at historic prices. And it was true that on average, the price would have been higher. It was 40-odd cents higher, I think, if you went five weeks. You were able to turn them off five weeks earlier. Yep. But importantly, when you looked at the range, 25% of the time, you're actually worse off. Yep. So there was the occasional year when you actually made a mozza out of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but compared to, and 25 cents one year in four. Yeah, yeah. So one year in four, that farm would have actually been worse off. Plus yeah. you overlay the things of got to get them in lamb, got to make sure that I've got feed available a month early, clashes with my cropping program, et cetera. And there are about six or eight of these factors we came up with on balance, he decided not to do it. And I think, now, I think that really, you know, one of the things that's always worried me about some of the consulting, certainly some maybe, maybe I'm reflecting on myself here, is this conflict with other farming operations. We, we, we you know, we, farming is a system and we have resource, human, human resource is a scarce resource. Um, you just can't layer on layer just because of, I would have thought of, of an outcome. Uh, absolutely, and really hard if you think of some of the more head sort of tools that we use yeah. to factor those sort of things in. Mm. Now, mm. you can factor in, I need such and such labour unit. But I tell you what, when you bug it at night, you know, exhausted yeah. day and you've got to get up early in the morning because all these things are clashing, yeah. it's pretty hard to put that in a spreadsheet, but you yeah. actually know it's critically important to your decision. Yeah. And, and, and so, and, Yeah, by doing and, this, you can weigh, put a weighting on that. Yes, yes. And, and so what I like about it is it brings in that heart and gut side of it, those intuitive things that you know about, mm. um, and you can factor those in and you can put a weighting on it. Now, if you've been um, around to be able to put your, your kids to bed at night is really important to you, you weight that more highly when yep. you're balancing out the pros and cons. Or footy training, whatever. Or yeah. footy training, whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So 
you know, I, I think that, that side of it's important. The yeah. other one is that I think when we can create these sort of matrices that I'm talking about, these decision matrices, is that you make it transparent. Yep. So you actually make it explicit what you're considering in that decision and how you weight the importance of certain things. Okay, and, that, now, and that's open to the team. Oh, that, that's an incredible value with it. And virtually everybody I've worked with, they said the good part about it is now we're all on, if you excuse the pun, we're yeah. all on the same page. Yeah, yeah. Because we can actually see it. And then someone will come in and question and go, but why, why are we doing that? No, yeah. why, why are you putting so much emphasis on that and not considering this? Yeah. So yeah. all of those, you know, what I'd say, your past experience, and this is the way we've always done it, mm. it can challenge it, but not necessarily in an openly, oh, you're dumb, you're doing the wrong thing. Well, it becomes because, a great, great communication uh, tool too. Where you know, in some situations, um, you know, in family situations, communication can be difficult. But it sort of takes the individual out in a way. It sort of says, well, here's a piece of paper saying how I've weighed this. Yep. Um, you know, let's talk about it. Yep. And the another aspect of it is if you've documented it like that and then you go through a season and you <laughs> made a call based on that, that matrix or those pros and cons, yep. you can always refine it. Yeah. So well, and, the other thing is, and the other thing is that we're not sitting around blaming each other at the end of if, 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 if the situation doesn't go according to plan. Because we've got a joint decision making to start off with and we've got transparency on how we made that decision. I would have thought that's pretty important as well. Yeah, yeah, abs absolutely. And then we can reflect on that and think, gee, you know, I'm, we're putting too much weighting on that yeah. because that value is actually low and it still turned out all right. So mm. maybe we're placing too much importance on that mm. when we shouldn't have in the past. Now, instead of that, happening in people's heads it's actually part of the the business yeah that you do it's documented yeah. the same way as your cash flows are and your budgets are and mm. and um you know, your tax return is and all those sort of things so mm. all the record keeping you keep it's just another record but it's a record around some of the critical decisions you got to make yeah sometimes they're decisions that are once off sometimes no so i've just done one recently with a farmer about <laughs> buying a block of land he sold some crop in country it's a cropper um got some livestock but a cropper sold some crop in country and bought some dairy country 150 k's away much higher That's rainfall <laughs> uh, to totally different to the, the the business that he runs yeah but when you know we actually work through what were the factors that you considered and on balance given you know the price of the dairy land the price of the cropping land that was there that his desire to want to diversify his income yeah um he got very good at learning how to trade livestock mm. and so there are a whole lot of things that because of where this couple sat um they thought you know this would be a good decision and when you weighed it up it was yeah really good you said look if i can and it reduced a bit of the debt that they had which they wanted to achieve as well yeah um, now in another five years time different circumstances you might do something different but as i said it was the process of actually stepping that out mm. and and having to write down and consider all of those and consider the weighting of them which one's more important than something else so one of the downsides was that you've got to travel 150 k's to check things you know, so that's on the downside of the ledger. 
yeah. on the upside of the ledger, there's other positive things. You know, you're buying land cheap and you're selling land expensive. Yeah. And yep. that reduced, took a fair bit off, you know, the debt, things yep. like that, which meant they slept better at night and were more comfortable, particularly the wife was more comfortable with that. <laughs> All and, of and, and they're important factors. I can't stress, you know, having dealt with people in crisis on farms, how important these those, those factors are. Uh, ab absolutely. I mean, we're talking about farming, uh, farming businesses and rarely is a farming business just one person isolated from everybody else in the family. Yeah. In farming, yeah. everybody's involved. Our place at home, all our kids, you know, come and go, but they're all part of it. And part Fiona it. and I, you know, run the farm and, and, and Fiona does most of it, but we've all mm. got to be on the same page. We all care about what goes on in it. We all somehow need to have a. a I, I think she. I think she, she does most of it, mate. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. As, as she says, we've all got baggage. I've just got cab. No. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. right. Hey, mate. Uh, listen. On that note, I think I think that's been fantastic, and, and I think this is a discussion that I'm really looking forward to um, expanding over uh, over the the podcast, and and hopefully we might be able to get you back on. Um, just elaborate on this because certainly in my experience, decision making is in, in farming because of those risk factors is and, and doing it better is just so critical. And 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 you know, having been a as I say a banker and, and looking at people's spreadsheets and balance sheets and profit and loss and see who's making money and why are people some people um, making more money than others or performing better than others and and it, and again it it. it it just seems to come down to the decision-making process, which I, I agree with you. I think it, it, it's something that we can all learn and all, all can learn to do better. So thank you very much for today, Cam. And uh, yeah, looking forward to have it continuing the discussion, mate. Yep, very good. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for listening to this week's Marcus Ag Talk podcast. Please, any feedback on the series would be greatly appreciated. Just leave a message on the site or email me at cornish at marcusoldham.vic.edu.au. Stay tuned to next week's podcast as we continue to explore farm management from an Australian perspective.